Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Moving to a site like this with this kind of project would dramatically change the relevance and the perception of the White Sox in the Chicago area. That's the voice of Mark Gannis on with Mully and Haw. He is with SportsCore talking about the White Sox who are in talks with the city, and this is all very, very preliminary, to build a stadium in the South Loop at the area known as the 78, right there off Roosevelt. I'm sure you have been there, Roosevelt and Clark. There's a long strip of skinny land, which uh, probably has just enough, at least in terms of width, for a stadium to fit there, and um, a lot of other space. And what's interesting about this is... I do recall in my time with the White Sox hearing about this idea a number of times. And it had been either talked about or proposed, and there there had been actually had been renderings done, you know, back in those days. And this was before they built what turned into the new Comiskey and U.S. Cellular Field and now Guaranteed Rate Field, that there was a plan or an idea to bring sort of a sports complex slash stadium to that part of the city. And I remember talking about it at the time, and this was years ago, thinking, my God, how cool would that have been? And don't get me wrong, I love Bridgeport. I think it's a it's a it's a nice, very clean neighborhood. There's a lot of history there, obviously. And the ballpark being there is historic. But you know what? Ballparks move. Ballparks move all, all over the place and all the time. And there is nothing wrong with being in a more of a prime location. And if they were to build the stadium there, it immediately changes everything and raises the profile, I think, of that team, just like we heard Mark say. It really does. Because you put them in an area where it is surrounded by basically the downtown area of one of the most beautiful cities in the world, certainly in the country. And you're, you're almost in the heart of it. And there aren't a whole lot of cities as big as Chicago with a downtown as big as what Chicago's is like that, that city um, center, you know, the heart of a city, which is the downtown area. There aren't very many places as big as this one, where there is a, a, ballpark a baseball stadium right in the middle of it there just isn't 
currently I work in St. Louis, and Bush Stadium is right downtown. But there isn't much going on downtown St. Louis most of the time unless the Cardinals are playing or the Blues are playing or there's a concert going on. It's a whole lot different than downtown Chicago where it is bustling and people live. Yes, post-COVID, there aren't as many people uh, living downtown, commuting to downtown to work, but it is still a vibrant part of the country. The most vibrant uh, city in the state by far, in the Midwest, really. And to have a stadium on that plot of land just changes everything. It might suck for the people who live there, the people who live close who would have to deal with traffic, uh, unless they could find a way to figure that all out. And yeah, that would really not be great for them, and I'm sorry. But man, it would do wonders for the White Sox as an organization. But they would have to do the second part. The first part is building a new stadium. The second part is doing everything else right. <laughs> uh, and that includes a lot of things. That includes, m- number one, first and foremost, making the team good and investing in the team in every possible way and making sure that you leave no stone unturned. And this goes for everything. It goes for the roster. It goes for the supporting staff for the team. It goes for everybody. It goes for the for the entire organization. And and I, I, I don't think I'm alone in this. Let me go back to my days here, again, working with the team. And I, for those of you who are just listening for the first time, I did, I worked for the score um, up until 2017. I was there full time. And for 10 years between 2006 and 2015, I hosted the pre and post game shows for the White Sox when the Sox were on the score before uh, we became the home of the Cubs. And so I spent a lot of time at the ballpark and met a lot of people and um, a lot of people in the organization I still like very much. There's been some turnover, but still a lot of people there that I care about and I, I root for and I, I hope uh, do well. Um, I do believe there was a time, probably about 10 years ago, where I really felt like, as an organization, when it came to the roster... They were doing everything possible to win. You know, maybe within reason. Um, You remember the all-in campaign that didn't end up working, but they brought back Paul Canerco. They go get Adam Dunn, who had just hit, like, uh, for 10 straight years, he was a 40-home run guy. So it just seemed like, oh, he's going to come to to this ballpark and he's going to hit another 40 home runs. This is going to go great. Well, that didn't work out. You know, but they did, I think, at least on paper... They did a hell of a lot to stay good and relevant. It just didn't work out. But it the way they have operated, and maybe maybe I was wrong then. Maybe I was wrong about how they went about business. It sure seemed like they were going all out. And if they were, then now they are doing the opposite of that. This team does not go all out. They don't go all out to be better. They don't go all out to... Um, solidify a roster with a lot of good young talent on it, and they end up putting themselves in a position to where they have to trade some of that talent, move on from it, and watch it disappoint. And that sucks. 
it sucks that that's where they are. And I feel like they do that in a lot of things. The Jason Benetti situation, watching from a distance, I love Benetti. The White Sox were so lucky to have him because that guy is a star. He's a star. He's a star. And why would you not want him broadcasting your games? It makes no sense to me. Why would you not say, look, whatever it takes to keep you, there's no salary cap in this. Let us know what we have to do so that you can call our games moving forward because there aren't very many announcers in the country better than you are in any sport. And he was still pretty new at it with room to grow and room to improve. That's how lucky they were. You could have had Jason Bonetti on the south side calling games for the next 40 years. And you know what? That would have been a treat. But they let him walk. And I know who some of the candidates are to replace him. You know, okay. Okay. Fine. But they need to do great. And it doesn't seem like they're trying to do great in anything. With the exception of this ballpark. Because if they move to that area, that would really be a great situation, I believe. From a fan's perspective, a spectator's perspective, that would be really fun to have a ballpark there. Where people could walk to places before and after the game to have a bite to eat, to hang out, have a drink, or, you know... and. There's all kinds of public transportation around the ballpark currently, but downtown there is too. And there are people who live downtown. And it might lengthen the commute for people who live on the south side and in the south side suburbs, which would suck. But just the the idea of having a stadium right in the middle of the city, right in the heart of it, would be such a cool thing. So it does seem like they're doing something right. And like I said at the top of the show, I had a friend who is a White Sox fan and who you would classify as a diehard and a guy I met in college. One of my one of the first people in my life that exposed me really every day to the White Sox was this guy. And and he was the first person I ever saw who would throw a hat across the room in anger about a sporting event. I just didn't grow up like that, but this guy did. And it was always the White Sox that made him do it because he cared so much. And he was texting with me yesterday about this situation, and he said, is it sad that the most exciting thing they are giving me is the possibility of a new stadium? And I said, yeah, it is. It is. And I'm sorry, but it is. Because that team should be really good right now. However, if they make the stadium thing happen, it it, it does do a lot for the organization. But like I said at the top of this segment, they got to do the other part. And the other part is make a good baseball team. Make a good product. Make a good product to watch, to listen to, and to go to the ballpark and see. We'll see if they take that second step. Actually, we have to wait to see if they do this first step, which is build that new stadium in the South Loop. It'd be a very cool thing if they did. Uh, Jim Margulis is going to join us, has been covering the White Sox since as long as I have been covering the White Sox. 
I've been probably before. Uh, Jim, diehard Sox fan and has been covering the team, does a fantastic job of it. He will join me next, right here on The Score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. For this ballpark to go up there and the, to bring in the revenue and the jobs uh, back to downtown area, uh, I just, uh, I, don't, I don't see how it can do anything but be a winner. Now, I'm told that if this thing's going to get done, that it's going to get done rather quickly. Rather quickly could mean two weeks, the next month, but rather quickly. That is the voice of, oh, Bruce Levine, my dude. Uh, on the score, talking about the possibility of a new stadium downtown Chicago, right there in the South Loop in the area called the 78, Clark and Roosevelt, and it would really be something. Uh, I'm Chris Ranji filling in with you until 9 o'clock tonight, and it is time for us to go back to the guest line tonight, brought to you by Circa Sports Illinois. We are joined by... Uh, Jim Margulis, who is a contributor for Bernstein and Holmes right here on The Score. You can follow him on Twitter at SoxMachine, and Jim is with us now on The Score. What's going on, Jim? How are you doing? It's good to hear your voice. It's good to hear you. Is this, what is this, White Sox Interactive? How are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about Matt Thornton? No, no. No, <laughs> I do not want to talk about Matt Thornton. Um, is there anybody else you don't want to talk about? Hey, um... So it's good to hear from you, Jim. Uh, it's been a while since we've gotten a chance to talk some White Sox stuff. So let's talk about the stadium, which right now, and I, I mentioned it right before break, one of my close friends, a diehard Sox fan, who actually happens to live down here in St. Louis, and uh, he is he's despondent over the team in general, but did say that this is the first time that he's felt like something exciting might be happening. How do you see it? I think as a White Sox fan and as somebody used to getting the football pulled, you know, Charlie Brown style or Lucy Van Pelt style on him, uh, when it comes to good White Sox news, I automatically go to what's the catch? Um, <laughs> you know, where can this go wrong? What's the angle? Why is this being leaked now? 
it's got to be more than a distraction because you wouldn't just like throw a massive, you know, how many billion dollar real estate deal as a like, eh, let's just get them talking about something besides the lack of Sox Fest. So I don't think uh-huh. it's that. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. Is, we'll know, get to that nonsense in a second, but go yeah. ahead. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's, it's a case where it's, you know, there's probably something real to it and makes a lot of sense when it comes to just the plot of land making perfect sense for a, a stadium, given the public transportation links, the water taxi, the skyline backdrop, uh, the need for fewer parking spaces, given all the different ways one can get there. Like it makes all the sense. And I think if you were to place a ballpark there and that was the home of the White Sox and all of a sudden you have like a lot more tourist appeal just because like, hey, it's right there. I may as well go to a game versus going to the south side, which, you know, nobody, you know, coming from out of town does. They should. They just it tends to be a place where tourists don't go because they don't know anything else that's there besides White Sox games. Like all of a sudden, like, you know, the White Sox get a a tourist hook. So there's that. So, I mean, like it makes a lot of sense. I just wonder, like. If they dangle this and everybody gets excited about the idea, does that maybe a way to like up the public pressure to get public funds uh, because it's so close and so tantalizing when you see some of the leaked renderings and, and where it can go? So that's kind of where my suspicion kicks in is like could be close to getting done, but maybe if it's treated as just close to getting done, maybe that's a way to say like it's this close. We're 95 percent of the way there. If only we could get X amount of money. Uh, to close the deal, an X amount of money could be a uh, a whole lot of money. I, I'm going to allow you to speak for all White Sox fans, but from the ones I've heard from so far, really excited about this possibility. If you add in public funding to the mix, do you think most Sox fans are out? Uh, I think most Sox fans are in or indifferent or like, well, my tax money is going to be spent anyway. It may as well be something I personally enjoy. But I think, you know, given that White Sox fans make up a minority of Chicago's baseball fan base, I think they get, uh, you know, like when you look at the TV ratings, when you look at the, uh, you know, attendance based on the uh, way the rebuild collapsed and the way the Cubs have regained the market share they might have lost uh, when the White Sox rebuild was starting to go well. Like it just might be a minority of the city, but when I when it comes to like that particular plot and how long it's taken to find something that might be suitable for that big of a of land space and also just you know something that necessitates all of the infrastructure that goes there because you can't just put up like a 7-Eleven on that kind of plot and say like, yeah, now we'll put in all the pipes and power and everything like that and deal with the railroad tracks. Like it takes something massive to get all of the, you know, construction equipment there and moving dirt for a reason. So that's the reason why I think like there might be, you know, a, a reason or a, a public good for contributing some money to the stadium if it allows sure. other things to be built more easily and regain some tax funds that aren't being currently uh, reaped from that land. But uh, I think when it comes to, like, the, the specifics, the financials, that's, uh, that's, that's beyond my expertise when it comes to uh, uh, TIFs and everything like that. Yeah, my guess, and usually TIFs are, are designated for blighted areas, and that's not a blighted area. Um, but yeah. it, it's you're hard pressed nowadays to get a stadium built with, you know, even 80 percent private funding. It's there. Usually there's a there's a significant amount of money that's public. So we'll see what happens there. I, I do think I, I personally feel like I'm tired of funding billionaire stadiums, but I also want that to happen. 
I want that stadium to happen for Chicago. Yeah, it's like it wouldn't be as as a White Sox fan, like wouldn't be the worst thing. Like you can argue against it, but at least you know there's there's some personal benefit to where like you can shrug at it and say like, well, there have been uh, dumber uses of public money, but that's kind of the most he can defend it. I mean, Nashville is going through the same thing here. I live in Nashville, so it's been fun uh, trying to shoot down the uh, the Nashville rumors and talk about how that's not ready for a team yet. But it's a similar thing where the Titans had a sweetheart deal from the previous administration, mayoral administration, that uh, finally they're collecting on, and all of a sudden it's a whole lot of money for a uh, – dome stadium for the titans and uh right now there's no appetite for a ballpark here or yeah it would take a whole lot of private money to even get the conversation started let's talk about this socks fest thing so this is now the the pandemic years i'm not going to blame them for not doing it but this is now the second year in a row that there's no good excuse for them to not have one and they're not having one and while i get that most people do not attend a fan fest it is a mm-hmm. thing that is really great for the fans who do care. It's a really cool event for people who like to go to those things, and a lot of people do, right? But it's not the majority of the fan base. Why are they not doing it again? I think it's because, you know, I, I early on, you know, post-pandemic, but while Tony LaRusso was the manager, like uh, it seemed like an optimal time for the White Sox to pull the Tony LaRusso move when like there was a legit reason to never have to present him in front of the public. And so, you know, as that went to the second year and there's a possibility, like I could see some, you know, reluctance to uh, expose that move to the public and, and have it, you know, warrant scrutiny. But I think they're, you know, they've just gotten comfortable with being insular and being comfortable with just like, we're, we're afraid of the public or we're just, there's nothing good that can come of this. There is good that can come of this, uh, you know, for fans. And, and I think there is a very healthy aspect for the White Sox facing the public, fans getting stuff off their chests, uh, some training for White Sox personnel, especially like Pedro Grafal, who's never spoken to the public, has never forged a connection with White Sox fans the way a guy like Ricky Renteria did or even Robin Ventura before him. Like, they took their lumps. But also, like, we're able to give it back a little bit and, you know, be able to be seen as – you know, fully fleshed humans like, you know, LaRusso was at a remove. Grifol is from a remove. And it's, uh, you can just see, like, especially with Grifol, the way, like, he's just never had to face fans. There's no real connection to them. Like, it just, the, the, the sphere gets smaller and smaller for the White Sox. And I think they've just gotten comfortable, and especially with the rebuild collapsing. There's just, I imagine they see nothing good that can come of having all of their, moves ripped and all their personnel ripped and like really having nobody with star power to run in front of the public who's popular like Luis Roberts Dylan Cease that's about it everybody else I think would just turn into a festivist situation with why fans are displeased with what this person is doing wrong or what this person doesn't do well enough so that's the reason why I think the White Sox haven't been interested in doing it and they have the season ticket holder party which isn't nothing and maybe gets them on course to reintroduce themselves or remember the benefits of having to occasionally give the public the microphone. But I think right now, given just how um, everybody's licking their wounds, uh, I imagine it's not the greatest introduction for like Chris Getz to go in front of the public and say, uh, here's everything the previous administration did wrong and uh, you were part of it. So why are you here? Yeah, I get why they're not doing it because they don't want to face that backlash. But that's, 
I mean, come on, man. You know, and and while you're right, there isn't a whole lot of star power on the team right now. There are just a lot of people who don't care. They just want to be close to the players. They just want to mm-hmm. be, even if even if it's a team full of scrubs, they want to be wherever they are. And you know you're going to get a lot of people who will show up for that. So I, I just, I feel like the last two years, it's been, it's been weak. It's just weak, man. You know? Yeah. No, it, it's, and I think, you know, the, the contentiousness of the town halls, like everybody remembers uh, Kenny Williams and Ozzie Gian, you know, going back and forth with fans, you know, that, I, I think they rearranged the access to the rowdiness of the town halls to where like the people paying big money were the ones going and they're not paying that much money to get mad and, and be mad and stay mad. Right. So they might have the occasional question that uh, is blunt and rubs people the wrong way, but everybody is mostly there to have a good time, take their kids to uh, be bigger fans of the White Sox. So that's where it is very uh, myopic and and, um, just, you know, focusing on what could go wrong versus like what needs to go right from this point forward and making the fans feel like they matter, I think is something that needs to go right for them. I, I could not agree with you more on that. And it's, it's the whole thing is a, is a real shame. So uh, talking with Jim uh, Margulis here with Sox Machine, also a contributor for Bernstein and Holmes. Let's talk about the roster itself, and we all know where they finished last year. Not great. Hasn't been great for them. When do you, as a, a person who covers this team daily, when do you realistically see them being competitive again? I think, you know, somebody asked me, like, what constitutes a success for Chris Getz, given um, everything it seems like he's being asked to do in terms of payroll and, you know, not being able to add and really prop uh, this collapsed rebuild up to try to get you know, the most out of what remains of it, of Cease and Robert and, and Jimenez and Moncada. They're just kind of turning the page on it. So, like, what constitutes a success? There was... You know, when Getz came in, Reinsdorf said he wants to hit the ground running and, and wants to put this year behind him. But as Getz has uh, eased into the role, he hasn't backed up those promises. I think the further he gets away from Jerry Reinsdorf's comments, the more comfortable he is um, lowering expectations. But I think a successful year would be like not a great year in terms of wins and losses, but some light at the end of the tunnel, like if they lose 95 games, but you can see a way like, Hey, Nick Nostrini and Christian Maynard are in the rotation and they're 40% of it and look like they can be good for it going forward. And Colson Montgomery looks like the real deal. Brian Ramos is, uh, you know, better than we thought or some other prospect who maybe is a little bit under the radar nationally, all of a sudden turns into like a fixture. Then you can see like a reason to add because, you know, Jimenez off the books, Mancata comes off the books. There are some buyouts involved, but like the, the payroll's only going to get smaller, especially if they trade cease. So there is room to add. And I think like if this nearest wave of prospects starts arriving and establishing themselves, then it gives them a reason to add, gives them a reason to have some ambition Kind of reminds me a little bit of 2019 for the following year, like 2025 would be 2019. Uh, a talented, a talented team that's still short but capable of looking like, oh, I get it now. I get it. What's going to look like when it's good? And that's what I think. What 2025 needs to look like, and I, so I think over the course of 2024, whether it's churning through uh, other teams' failed prospects, whether it's just uh, doing whatever you can to insulate 
Montgomery and Ramos and so forth until they are truly ready. Like, I think really the last two months are what I'm going to be focusing on uh, to understand what's in the cupboard uh, and what positions are taken care of and what really needs addressing with the resources that open up. Two more years of control for Cease, who you have mentioned a couple of times here tonight. What do you think ends up happening if you had to guess? I thought this would be the winter where he gets traded just because when you look at the contracts that are being signed by free agent pitchers, like when you look at the, the arbitration trajectory Cease is on, he's going to end up earning something in the neighborhood of like two years at $23 million, $25 million if this is a really good year. And that's what Kenta Maeda signed for with the Tigers. And now it's an okay contract, but it's, uh, you know, Maeda, there's a whole lot of pitchers better than Maeda. Cease is one of them. And they're signing for, uh, you know, twice that average annual values. So that's uh, the, what the market's saying. And so he has some value there. When it comes to like, you know, what the White Sox are asking for, uh, that's kind of where you can see it being like a, a little bit too much of an ask to say, like, we want three top 100 prospects, but two doesn't seem out of the question. And when you look at what the Orioles have, when you look at what the Yankees have, Red Sox are in position to add, and the teams that have been unwilling to move prospects, you wonder what it's all for. So, like, that's what I'm kind of curious about. The one thing I can see in their defense of the teams that are kind of cool to the idea of paying top dollar for season in terms of prospect value is that Cease, you know, does lead the league in walks, or at least when Michael Kopech isn't leading the league in walks, Cease is. So that's a case where maybe they look at a guy who they want to go six innings, but it can only go like five and a third often enough because of the inefficiency and says like, well, if I'm paying that much for a, a pitcher, like I want him to be able to go six and seven with regularity and save my bullpen innings, uh, ease up on the, the high leverage arms we have and, and provide some relief there. And Cease isn't quite that guy. Blake Snell is of a similar mold and he hasn't signed with the team yet. He's a Scott Boris client. So that's a reason why, uh, you know, he hasn't signed yet. Uh, he tends to like to drag negotiations in the spring training, but I can see like along the same lines of being that, that mold of pitcher where they do provide ACE type pitching per inning. It's just that the innings maybe aren't that great per start. As a let me ask you a general baseball question. As a baseball student, um, we did find out tonight that the three inductees for the Hall of Fame this year will be Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton, and Joe Maurer, who spent a lot of time killing the White Sox. Um, any thoughts on on the elections? I was surprised by how much support Maurer got early. Like I was on the fence about him just because of, you know, he's caught the second fewest innings among catchers in the hall of fame. I, I heard that fact in the MLB network uh, run-up show saying Buck Ewing was the only one who caught fewer innings among catchers. And when he played first base and he had to move to first base for like the last five, six years of his career, he was an ordinary first baseman, high average, but low power could never figure out how to hit for power and target field. And I thought that might factor into the conversation a little bit more, and it didn't really seem to. And given that catchers really have been underappreciated by the Hall of Fame, um, just you know how few there are, how long it takes some guys to get in, and how they often have to get in through the Veterans Committee, I don't mind catchers getting in. I think third basemen have been uh, experiencing a similar block because of just that the wear and tear that they uh, absorb at third base uh, with the, with the diving and the kind of torquing that, that they, they do at third. Um, I, I'm happy to see more catchers in. I'm just a little bit surprised that he got in that easy, but otherwise, you know, Helton seemed like he should be in, especially like 
Coors Field, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Beltry should have been unanimous, but uh, you know, 98% or whatever he got is close enough to that. So I think it's a good three-person class. Uh, a shame about Billy Wagner, but I've always been a little bit cool to Wagner's case just because he's pitched fewer than 1,000 innings, and his postseason track record was really, really bad. Like uh, He gave up more earned runs than Mariano Rivera gave up in, I think, like one-eleventh of the innings. Uh, just every postseason he was in, he was rocked. And I think if you're if you're a closer pitching fewer than a thousand regular season innings, you really have to provide something in the postseason appearances you get. And he struggled the way that like Joe Nathan struggled. And yeah, you know, that just kind of doesn't appeal to me much when you already pitched that infrequently. Uh, lastly, do you, do we have any, um, any idea where Billy Eilish got the Jake PV Jersey or was that, where, where was that a thrift store thing? What was that? I don't know. Like, uh, I, I do have uh, one of my high school friends is a writer, and I, I shot him a message and didn't get an answer. Terms, did you sneak them your old? Are, are you offloading some White Sox gear onto hosts, and they just wear it on the stage? Uh, but unfortunately, uh, yeah, didn't get a, a yay or a nay on that one. So that's my okay. leading theory. But I mean, <laughs> it's a shame, you know, it's, with the White Sox, like seeing the Taylor Swift uh, suite. Uh, during the postseason or the uh, NFL playoffs and seeing like a guy with the White Sox cap uh, always there. You don't know if he's a White Sox fan or if it's just uh, somebody liking the uh, the logo and look, oh. but it's such. Wait, you talk about the that? Travis, uh, the Kelsey uh, next to Taylor Swift. Was it, was he wearing the cap? I didn't, I saw him sure. By the time I, I recognized it as Kelsey, he was sure. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it, it, it's Travis Kelsey's barber, I think. Okay. Um, yeah, a Sox yeah the, fan, the, so apparently. The, I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, but you see like the, the socks, you know, the socks cap everywhere. We don't expect to see it. And if they were like, if they could remotely, uh, make good on the rebuild or the promise that they have, or like the kind of mind share they have and the, 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 how appealing their fashion is to people who don't care about the white Sox. And like, right. I've been overseas and you go to, you know, you go to Japan, you go to Europe, you go, I've, I've been in Reykjavik and I've been, I've seen white Sox caps in Reykjavik along with Dodgers caps and Yankees caps and that's it and nobody knows what the White Sox are Jim I see a a lot of them in St. Louis and you know what I see down here a ton of it's a it's unbelievable the White Sox personalized plates you know with the with the Sox logo on them the black ones I see Hmm. that all the time down here huh yeah it's weird I see it down here more than I see it up there to be honest Interesting. Yeah. But I mean, like yeah. if they just had like a remotely good run to where like they made the postseason two years in a row or even got to a, you know, won a postseason series, like they could take off. They've always been in position and to circle back to the ballpark, like all these elements are like kind of loosely floating around that are possible to make the White Sox like a really big thing. And they never can line them all up at once. So that's, you know, when, when following this uh, ballpark uh, proposal, it's one of those things that like is so close to being one of the things that can click into place and really put this franchise in a different trajectory. And that's why I'm not counting on it, but you can see it. Can't you? <laughs> I really can, man. Oh, that sucks. Well, uh, Jim, it, it's good to talk to you again and, and hopefully they do figure it out. And by it, I mean a good baseball team. It would be nice to see it again. And I'd like to see him figure out the stadium thing as well. Yeah. Good baseball ballpark public relations, everything, all for it. Thanks for coming on, Jim. Good to hear from you. Appreciate it. Jim Margulis, he is, uh, well, he's got Socks Machine. You need to read that. You can follow him on Twitter, at Socks Machine, also a contributor for Bernstein and Holmes. Uh, PV, by the way, I, I'm assuming 
you heard about this, maybe you did not, but um, clearly when that happened, when Billie Eilish was on Saturday Night Live and uh, wearing his jersey, that his phone just absolutely blew up with a million text messages. And his answer was, I have no idea what that's all about. <laughs> he had no clue. Very cool thing, though, uh, to, to be surprised by that um, during an SNL broadcast. Okay, we've got a little bit of time, you and me, together here. 312-644-6767. We've talked some socks. We've talked some bears. I've asked you if you trust Ryan Poles. You can either call me and text me and tell me what you think when we come back. Chris Ranji here on The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Chris Ranji on the score filling in tonight. Good to have you with me, man. Had a nice time with you. Um, Appreciate all of our guests tonight. Mark Grody. Josh Schrock, Brad Spielberger, Jim Margulis, our producers Alex Kuhn, and uh, Clint Klaus have been awesome tonight. A text, me- a text message from a friend who, it was talking about the Hall of Fame voting, says that um, I don't think Hall of Fame voters should be allowed to write a column about it. Maybe we'd get better results. And I have to tell you, that's not a stupid idea. Because I do believe a lot of voters vote so that they can write the column about it. And let me tell you why I did this. Let me tell you about my blank ballot. Oh, you can stuff that blank ballot down your throat and then jump in the lake. A text message um, about the White Sox and their new stadium, which could potentially happen. If the Sox move downtown, it will double the fan base. As a lifelong Cubs fan, I am rubbed uh, I am rubbed the wrong way with the, the current Cubs base. I don't know why you would be. And I'm openly seeking to be a Sox fan. Just need some positive news, and this may be it. Okay, that's fair. Um, Sox can build all the new stadiums they want. Doesn't matter if they have the same idiots running the operations in and out of the stadium. Worst run stadium I've ever been to in my life. Really? I always thought it was very easy, but then again, I'm leaving after everybody else has already left, so I don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't know at all. Uh, to the Josh Fields, Josh Fields, good Lord. To the Justin Fields situation, I don't think the fan base or the media would expect any rookie quarterback to be great immediately. There might be some impatience or hope that he keeps them in the playoffs and in contention and is good by the midpoint of the year, but no matter what, the prospect everybody knows there's going to be growing pains. Um, And that is a text message from a 708. And, okay, here's why I think people would expect the new quarterback, if it's Caleb Williams, to be good immediately. Two reasons. One, most of them already like the current guy and think the current guy is pretty good and just getting better. So they're going to expect him to be at least as good as Fields right away and better probably. Okay? That's number one. 
and number two, C.J. Stroud and Jordan Love. Those guys had immediate success. So if they can have immediate success, I promise you, Bears fans will be looking at the draft, looking at Caleb, looking at the Bears taking Caleb, and they will say, okay, you've taken him because you think he's better than Fields. So if he's better than Fields, and we've already seen two young rookie quarterbacks do well right away, then this guy better do well right away. And if he doesn't, then he's going to hear it from us. I don't think there's going to be that much patience if they draft a new quarterback and he starts right away. I just don't. And I'm not sure there's going to be much patience with the organization if they draft a new QB and they don't start him right away. Because then it'll be, why did you not start him right away? Because we've seen these other guys do well immediately. And you got rid of the quarterback who was progressing so, and you know what? They may not be wrong for thinking that. And I kind of feel that way too. And I'm sorry that I don't have a really hard take on this. Where I think you're stupid if you uh, oppose my viewpoint. Because I, I, I lean toward keeping Justin Fields. And building around him and coaching the bad, manner, bad mannerisms out of him. Which can be done if you have a competent coaching staff a competent offensive coaching staff, which he's never had here in the big leagues. Maybe in college, but not here where the big boys play. He has not. And I think a lot of that stuff could be cleaned up. And he hasn't been given a real opportunity. And yeah, a lot of it's on him, but I I think there have been a lot of factors working against him. So I hope that if they keep him, they have hired the right offensive coordinator. However, there is a part of me that is really intrigued to see what Caleb Williams or Drake May could do. Are you ready for this for the next several months? Are you ready Are you ready for this through March? Wow, it's going to be a lot of fun. I don't know when you and I will be back together again. I hope it'll be soon. In the meantime, I hope to hear from you on Twitter, at Chris Ranji, R-O-N-G-E-Y. You can find me there. And, uh, you know, hey, I'll see you when I see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling and texting the show. I certainly appreciate it. My name's Chris Ranji. Bet MGM Tonight is next, right here on 670 The Score. Bye. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for twenty-five dollars per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty-five dollars per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.